The summer of 2005, I had been getting sick in the afternoons for several weeks. And by evening, I would have a fever and uh, be really weak and down and out. And then the next morning, weirdly, just be perfectly normal. And so along about the afternoon, that went on for several weeks, and it kept progressing and becoming worse until uh, they took me into the hospital, and after being there for about a day, they had me, uh, my, my internal organs were trying to shut down, and I was at the point of death. I know the story isn't nearly as suspenseful as it could be, because I'm the one telling it to you. You don't know if he made it or not. Well, in this case, you know. Yeah, amen. But you know, pain like, I don't know how to describe it, feeling like my head is just being split apart with an axe. And through the rest of my body, and because there's so much pain, um, I understood why someone would want to end their life just to make it stop, right? And... I had, I was in and out of delirium, and of course they began to give me all kinds of painkillers and morphine and different things that alter the state of your mind. And I remember in that fog, laying there, and as they were working with me and trying to get me to, uh, to stay conscious, I realized that I was, there was a moment where I looked over and I saw my wife and I saw my little boy and I realized that this might be it. You know, my father had passed away when I was just a little baby and he'd left me fatherless and that was, that was something that I had to, to overcome in my life. And so as I looked at my son and I, my oldest son, I thought, you know, he was only, what, five months old at the time. And I thought, well, I guess it'll, you know, be like that. That thought was presented to me. Now this was before I knew what the Word says, the promises of healing. I mean, I knew there was promises there, but I also, you know, I don't know. We just read a little faster over those verses and you know, we didn't understand them. We didn't know the Word of faith. We didn't understand those things. I knew those promises were there. And so as the thought is presented that this might be it, this is it, you're going to be just like your dad and you're going to leave, leave your wife husbandless and your, your child fatherless and die at a young age. And in that moment, I remember after that thought came and I, I turned the thought over in my head and I looked at it and realized, this is probably true, a wave of grief and sorrow came over me. And I remember turning my face away from my wife because I didn't want her to see me crying. And I had this, this thought was taking hold of me. But along about that time, another thought came up on the inside that said, that's a lie. It doesn't have to be that way. And I thought, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you know, when you're in enough pain, at first you're afraid you're going to die, and then you're afraid you're not going to, you know, if it's bad enough. And so I'm sitting, laying there, and I'm going, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do what my dad did and die early. 
I'm not going to let my wife husbandless, my child fatherless. Not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live. This is what I'm shouting on the inside. I'm going to live. And I remember looking up at the clock on the wall. And tomorrow morning might as well have been 200 years away. It was unreachable, unattainable, something, there's no way I can put my faith and hope towards let's make it till tomorrow morning because that was much too far away for the condition I was in. I had to take a much smaller bite and to fight from a much smaller place. And so rather than trying to eat the whole elephant in one bite, I decided, well, you eat it one bite at a time. I knew that. I'd been taught that. And so I looked at the clock and I said, I can make it another five minutes. I'm going to live for five minutes more. Now, I didn't realize that when your organs shut down, it can be a very painful thing, but that's what was going on, right? And so I would fight and I would look at the clock and the thought that I had in my head was, I'm going to see the clock that hand hit the five. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see it land on the five. That was the thought I had in my head. Did you know minutes sometimes can take hours? Those were some long minutes. And I saw the five. And then I said, I'm going to see the six now. And I fought for, for the next five minutes. That was my goal. Survive five minutes. Live five minutes. I can live five minutes. I can do this for another five minutes. So then that five minutes rolled around. So the thought was, again, the next five minutes, all night long until we reached the morning. And as we reached morning, things subsided and I was able to go to sleep and it, it was like the presence of death had left the room. But what had happened in the middle of that as I lay there, as I was in that place and realized I had was facing death, I said to my wife, I said, um, please call the pastor and have him come. I want him to come and pray for me and anoint me. And um, so apparently that didn't quite get communicated or he, he wasn't into anointings. I don't know because we didn't really do those things. But he shows up in my hotel room and I understand uh, my pastor was about my same age, maybe a year older, and I loved this man. This man was a friend of mine. He was very, very dear to me. I thought he was the greatest pastor in the world, all right? And so I just knew that if I can get the man of God in my life to come and stand with me and to fight with me, I need him to pray for me because I kept thinking, everyone say thinking. I kept thinking that, you know, the Word says if you're anointed with oil and if you call for your elders, well, that has to be my pastor. I mean, I hadn't been taught that, but I mean, I knew that much. That has to be my pastor, so if he'll come and pray for me, it says I'll be healed. And so I called for him, and, and I remember when he showed up in the room, and <clears throat> he didn't have any oil with him. And I remember feeling so disappointed that, well, we, can't, well, we can at least pray, right? We can at least pray. So he, he prayed for me, and I remember how peace came over me. And as he prayed for me, I also remember feeling disappointed. Because it was a kind of prayer that said, you know, Lord, we just ask you to spare his life and to help him and to heal him if this is your will. And, and, and when we got to that point, I was so disappointed. Because I, I, I knew it was the Lord's will that I live. 
I knew that on the inside. He might have not known that, but I knew that. And so I was disappointed at the anemic prayer. And again, we hadn't been taught any of this. This was just all things that were coming up on the inside of me that I was aware of at the time. And, and really, because you're not taught it, you don't know what to do with it, you don't even know what your issue really is with it, you just know it was disappointing. It was kind of let down. And he left, and I told you the story of how the night went. But I had to begin thinking something different. The thought was given to me, you're, you're going to die young. You're going to die tonight. This is it. You're going to leave Adrian fatherless and Jen without a husband. And then the other thought came. No, I'm not. I'm going to live. I'm not going to give in to that. What is a thought? What is a thought? Is it something you can hold in your hands? No, you can't touch it. You can't see a thought. A thought is not something tangible. You don't feel a thought, although thoughts can bring feelings, right? A thought is spiritual. It's the mind-spirit connection. And a thought comes to you and what you do with that thought, whether you meditate on it, whether you give life to that spiritual concept, spiritual idea, spiritual thing, it's given to you and it crosses into the natural once it comes out of your mouth. and goes from spirit to natural. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians. In chapter 3. Actually, let's go to Romans first. Romans chapter 12 first. No, let's not. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10. Thank you, Lord, for your help. Sometimes I'm just slower than other times. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I ask the question, what are thoughts? You know, they're not physical, you can't touch them. But clearly a thought is something that we're supposed to take captive to the authoritative, finished work of Jesus Christ. Because it is a spiritual thing. 
We have allowed ourselves to think that thoughts are nothing. They're just thoughts. That they're neither here nor there. That a thought is just a natural thing. But it is time that we understand that thoughts are spiritual things. When you have a thought, have you ever, have you ever thought? Where did that thought come from? Was it God? Was it an evil spirit? Or was it me? Who gave me that thought? Well, here's something to notice. All three of those possibilities are spirit beings. All three of those possibilities are first and foremost spirit beings. That's what we are. We're spirits. And if the thought came from you, well, then it came from you. If it came from the enemy, well, you know what to do with it. You take it captive. If it came from the Lord, you dwell on it. You meditate on it. You act on it. Well, as I lay there in that hospital bed, I had the kingdom of light trying to get a thought into me. And I had the kingdom of darkness trying to get a thought into me. And the spiritual thought they were presenting to me, you don't have to think what you're presented. You don't have to take the thought of the enemy that he gives you and play with it and think it and dwell on it. See, a thought that starts in here, if you think on it, if you stay on the thought, it, begin, it forms pictures on the inside of you, right? And as those pictures form, the dominant thought in here is what's going to come out here. The dominant thought in here... See, words are nothing more than vehicles that carry spiritual thoughts. They carry spirit of life or spirit of death. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We preach that all the time. We talk about the importance of our words. We talk about how that your tongue you need to say, not just think. You know, the Word says we are saved how? If we believe in our heart, faith, and confess with our mouth. Well, that faith, that believing in the heart is what you're thinking. And what you're thinking is what you're going to say. How many of you sometimes say something that you don't want to say? And you say, oh no, and you have to change it. And you say it a different way. Well, what's coming out of here is just what's being thought in here. I know sometimes we don't like that, but it's still true. Maybe it's because of the thoughts we're allowing, the spiritual things we're allowing, the spiritual content that we're eating. And if you get enough of a certain spiritual diet, be it good or bad, that's what tends to come out of here. You know, when the Lord made the earth, it was just an idea. It was a thought. A spiritual thing. A thought. And yet, it wasn't earth. It wasn't formed. It wasn't fashioned. It wasn't in an orderly sequence and way of being. None of that. Until the Lord said and gave word to the thought. To the spiritual thought. And He said, light be and kazam, light was. Kabam, yeah. 
See, your words are capsules, are containers that carry life or death. We've said that often, but we forget what, what is that life or death. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from a thought. Life or death thinking. What is your mindset? As a man thinketh, so is he. We've been using that in this series. So the importance of what you think, the reason it's important is because it's what you'll say. And what you say is what you'll do. You say, yeah, well, I've said a lot of things I haven't done. Yeah, but you're still going to give an account for what you've said, whether you did it or not. You're going to, the reason Jesus said you're going to give an account for every idle word, you're not going to give an account because it was nothing. You're going to give an account because it was presented and was supposed to be something. As I lay there, as I had those thoughts presented to me, and I decided I was going to go with the thought of light and life, and that I began to say that and fight for it. The next day, I, I don't remember much of because of all the painkillers and everything that I was, you know, they, they mess with your mind. That was the thing. You know, the overriding thing I came away with from that whole experience was how much I disliked all the drugs they gave me. I, I thought uh, later, I thought, you know, I think it'd be better to face the pain rather than have all the addled mind that the drugs give. Because when you can't think clearly, it's difficult, very difficult to fight. It's a lot more difficult when, when your, your mind is clouded and sluggish and slow, and, and it's hard to fight. I mean, it, it, it's also hard when you have so much pain you can't think. So, you know, there's, you got to weigh the pros and the cons there. But I remember going... How, how much I was like, well, if that happens again, please don't let them give me, give me all these drugs. And what was going on in my body was I had contracted some viral disease that's normally fatal and it lies in your um, kidneys, I believe it was, or liver or somewhere down in your loins, I don't know. But it lies there dormant until your body reaches a weakened state. Usually it's when you're old. And then it awakens and kills you. Shuts down your organs. Well, for whatever reason, it had awoken and come at me. And that's what had been going on. And so they're doing every test they know how to do. And they're getting no answers because this is not... It's a very unusual thing. And they don't know what it is. And so they can't figure it out. And so I spend that day in the hospital, and that night, I, I said to Jen, because things got worse again, but not nearly as bad as the night before. It wasn't like, I think I'm going to die tonight. It was just, I know, I'm really sick, you know. I wasn't at death's door like I was the night before. And I said to Jen, I said, I'm going home tomorrow. I'm going home tomorrow. See, a thought that was in my head... I gave voice to, I'm going home tomorrow. <laughs> Which home? To my house on Carnation Road in Olathe, Colorado. And the next morning rolls around and I told the 
Jen actually thought I was crazy that night for thinking I could go home the next morning because I was also really loopy from all the drugs and that night she thought, man, maybe I am going to die. So now she has the thoughts, right? She has the, th- the stinking thinking. And, but what's going on in me is I'm done. You know, sick people, I mean, healthy people don't go to hospitals. And I'm healthy. I'm 24 years old. There's no reason that I'm not out working instead of being in here. And I'm going home. I'm finished with this. That was what I said. I'm done with this. I'm not going to have it anymore. I'm just done. I'm going to leave. Well, the next morning I got up and I said uh, to the nurse, or when they came in in the morning, I said, I, I want to go home. Let's give me my discharge papers. I want to go home. They said, oh no, you can't go home because, you know, we haven't even figured out what's wrong with you yet. I said, well, I don't care what what they claim is wrong with me since they can't figure it out and you've done all the tests anyway. Just let me go home and then let me know when you know what it is. No, we can't let you go home. You're you're too weak. You're this, you're that. I said, I'm not weak. She said, well, you can't get up and walk around. I said, yes, I can. And so I got out of bed. I got a hold of all the the stand where they got all the IVs. Everything's hanging on it, right? And uh, Jen helped me and we went for a walk. To show them. They said, all right, if you, if you can go out and walk around in the garden, they had this rooftop garden there on our floor. If you can go out and walk around in the garden, see how you feel when you come in. See, they thought, I'm going to go out there and get so wiped out, I'm going to come back in, collapse in bed, and then yeah, it'll settle that. Well, I went out, and man, it did wipe me out. And I sat out there on the bench, and I remember saying to Jen, I'm going home. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell them to unhook me from everything and I'm going home. And if they don't unhook me, I'm going to unhook me and I'm going home. I mean, what are they going to do? Hold me down? My mind was set with a certain way of thinking. The thought of death, the thought of dying, the thought of being sick, I had taken that captive. And I am healed and I am out of here. And so, what happened next was comical, or maybe a little frightening to Jen, I don't know. But I had a few arguments with the nurses trying to get them to release me, and they finally were like, okay, we will, we will. And this is all in the morning still. And um, we will, the doctor's coming, the doctor's coming. Well, the doctor doesn't show up, and the doctor doesn't show up. And yeah, we're going to have you out in, in, in an hour or two. And finally, it rolls around to noon. Still no doctor, still not one thing done to get me out of there. And I realized they're just lying to me. So I said to the nurse, you know, they're just trying to do their job. This isn't any bad reflection on them. I want you to see, you know, from their perspective, I had no business thinking I should go home. And they're right in the natural. But I'm now operating on a different principle. I am thoroughly convinced I cannot be made to doubt that I should stay. I am completely convinced because I have taken a hold of the spiritual concept that was presented to me. I have given power to it by my voice and I'm going to act on it. So, I told them, I said, alright, you've got 30 minutes to get me unhooked and bring me the papers or I'm going to unhook myself and I'm just going to walk out. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. Until 30 minutes later when I started yanking things off my arm, and my wife runs out to the nurse and says, he really is. And they come in and they're like, oh, wait, 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 here, let us do it. 
And so uh, they unhooked me and I went home and um, here I am. Now, the doctors later, a specialist figured out what it was and gave me some sort of medications to kill it and everything and did tests later and it, because it had just gone back to being dormant, laying in my liver, kidney, loins, wherever it was, right? And now, now it was still there and waiting for another opportune time and so the doctors did the things they did to get rid of it and I tested completely free of it. I say all of that to say that so often we think that a thought is just a thought. Now understand, you are not held accountable for the thought that's presented to you. You only have to give a reckoning for the thought once you start turning it over and rethinking it and rehashing it and meditating it. And now that thought, you're giving that thought strength and it begins to grow on the inside of you and it's coming at you either from the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness There's only two kingdoms in the earth. There's only two things happening in the earth. We talked about this last week. Spirit of light, spirit of darkness, and you're in one camp or the other. If you're not born again, you're still in the spirit of darkness. And so every thought that you have from that spirit is from the spirit of darkness. You might say, well, it's a natural thought. Yeah, but it's still originating in a dark spirit. So if you're born again and your spirit has been recreated on the inside of you, we, this is why we're talking about thoughts because your mind is not what got born again. Your soul didn't get born again. Your spirit was born again. It's why you have the mind of Christ now. His way of thinking. His spiritual thinking. And so, for you and I, if we sit and we fill ourselves with thoughts that the world... Let's say it different. We fill ourselves with spiritual content that the world is feeding to us. It's bound to have a negative effect on you. You know, I could go home and I could eat just a little bit of rat poison with my steak and mashed potatoes and uh, might need extra barbecue sauce for that bite. But I mean, with enough sugar or cheese, anything is good, right? And I could take just a little bit and I'd be fine. But if every day I ate less steak and mashed potatoes and more rat poison, eventually I'd reach a point where I'd be in deep trouble. I wouldn't be feeling good. I'd be feeling... Weak, I would be feeling anemic, I I would be feeling broken down, not in a position of strength because of the content that I am taking in. Well, in the same way, if you just reverse that and you start, stop taking in the poison and begin taking in and putting out the life, then everything changes. Let's go over to Romans 12 now. In Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3, we'll read both places. These are kind of our texts for this series. Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as an alive sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, 
But be transformed, that, that's be continuously transformed by the renewing of your mind. Someone say mind. You mean thoughts can have a transformative effect on you? Yes, yes. But just the thought alone won't. It has to be more than that. Because your thoughts will turn into words which turn into actions. Which turns into direction. Which turns into destiny. So thoughts, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And we looked at before how this is so that we can walk in the will of God. So that we know His will and that we can fulfill His will for our lives. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, someone say we all. So we all, with, now remember, Paul is writing to, in both cases here, in Romans and here, he's writing to believers that have been born again already. They've already experienced the new birth. They've already experienced having the mind of Christ. But there's still something that needs to take place in them. In verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Passion Translation reads this way, we can all draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I ask the question, what is a thought? A thought is a shaper, a spiritual shaper. <clears throat> it shapes your mind. It shapes your words. It shapes what's going on in your heart. When God created the earth, He had the whole creation all the way down through you and I and our children's children and to the end of time. He had all of it on the inside in a thought. In God. Just like one acorn has generations of trees in it. Right? When you plant it, it makes trees which make acorns. Which get planted, which make trees, which make acorns. Generation. I mean, every oak tree you see comes from the Garden of Eden. Every stalk of corn comes from the Garden of Eden. That's where it originated. The things that were there. And so here... He had that shape on the inside of him. He had the thought on the inside of him and he gave birth to the spiritual concept by words. When he said light be and, and dry ground appear and he spoke those things out. That's where it all came to be. This is why, let's go to Proverbs 4 and then we'll go over to Psalms 11. Proverbs 4 first though. You know, it's kind of like the potter. You remember the story of in 
Maybe Jeremiah 18, I believe it is, where he tells him, go to the potter and watch him. And the potter begins to form. Have you ever watched someone with a lump of clay? It's just, just a lump of clay. And they begin to, as the wheel spins, they begin to shape and deform it. And that thing begins to take shape into something that's like, wow, how are they doing? I mean, if, if they're skilled at all, it takes shape into something, a beautiful vase. And, but where did that vase begin? It began on the inside with a thought, with a picture on the inside that they ended up giving shape to. Well, that's how it is with our words. Their form, they start in here, the picture, the picture of life or death. In Proverbs 24, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the source of life. How is the heart the source of life? Of life or the spirit, the source of life. Because that's where you have God's thoughts. That's where you, His thoughts come up in you and you give birth to them in little word capsules that carry His spirit of life on the inside of them. And it is the source of life. Now, if you'll just read further, he goes on and he talks about that. He's talking about the heart-mouth connection. Verse 24, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Talking about what's coming out of your mouth. Well, the only thing that comes out of your mouth is what is in here. It can't be any other way. The only reason that you're not living in the victory already that you want to live in is because of the thoughts here. I mean, if you've been struggling to live a victorious Christian life and you just can't overcome that sin or overcome the habit or, or you can't stop eating too much Briar's ice cream, right? I remember the story of Briar's ice cream from, from Apostle Dale. And so, it's because of the thinking that's in here. If you change the thoughts, you'll change your words, you'll change your actions. Let's go to Psalms 11. This psalm is a debate on fear or faith, which seems really, really relevant to today. David is the writer of the psalm, and we don't know exactly what was going on or when in his life he wrote this, but clearly as we read the psalm, you will see that he was facing a situation where people wanted to take his life, and his friends are advising him to give in to the fear, to run away, to flee, to hide, and to compromise who he was and what he was supposed to be, and David has an answer for it. So let's look here at what he says in verse... Now remember, the reason I'm bringing this up is because fear or faith begin as thoughts. They begin as thought. What are you thinking? What are thoughts? When the news media presents all the facts that are happening in the world, it's presenting you with thoughts. Presenting you with information to think. It holds spiritual significance. In the begin- You know why the flood came? Because man's thoughts were only evil. That's how important our thinking is. 
Well, here in Psalm 11, in verse 1, he makes this statement. He says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. Man, that's how he starts it out. And that's how we're going to... Let's say that together. I have taken refuge in the Lord. So he asks the question. Apparently, someone had come to him. Maybe multiple of his friends came to him. But somebody came to him and says the following. He asks, how can you say to me, escape to the mountain like a bird? You know, fear always tries to set the terms. Even in our culture right now that we're living in, whether it be viruses or economic collapses or shutdowns or just on and on and on. I mean, you know, they, they're just wave after wave after wave after wave of opportunity to fear is coming. And what does fear do? It, it, fear seeks control. That's always what it seeks. To control. So that's the agenda behind it. There's a lot of well-meaning people that don't realize that they are playing right into that agenda. But for you and I, we know that we're not going to... Any compromise with fear is opening the door and inviting it in. Okay? So we're not going to compromise with fear. Can you... He says here, how can you say to my soul, escape to the mountain like a bird? Does that mean that there's never a time where escape would be appropriate? No. We know that he did spend some days on the run, escaping. But in this particular case, it was not the time. So that's where you would have to make the determination, do I escape or do I not? Do I shelter in place or do I not? Do I do X or do I do Z? Right? Is you're going to have to follow that piece on the inside, what am I supposed to do? There's not just a set answer for it. But the set, as far as which plan of action you will take in the natural, there is a set action in the spiritual that you must always take, and that is never yield to the fear. Never make decisions that are influenced by that fear. He goes on, he says... Um, he, now he's repeating what they said to him. You know, they said, escape to the mountain like a bird. For look, this is what they said, look! What does looking do? It gets you to start thinking something. Look at the fruit on the tree. Isn't that good to eat? Eve looks at it, yeah, that really is. It, it looks good. In fact, that's beautiful fruit. Wow, it's gorgeous. Look at it. Looks like it'd be really tasty too. I mean, see how vibrant all those colors? How can you get 12 colors in one fruit? This is amazing. Looks so healthy. I'm sure it's healthy. I mean, I bet that has a lot more vitamins and nutrients than broccoli, right? And so she takes a bite because she looked at it. See, what you look at puts thoughts on the inside of you which leads you to begin saying things which leads you to doing things. On the other hand, God took, we talked about this last week, God took Abraham out and said, look around. Look to the east, west, north, south. All this land I'm going to give you. In fact, I want you to look more. Walk from one end to the other. Expand your vision 
Because he's trying to expand his thoughts and give him God's thoughts. He says, look at the sand, how many there are. Look at the stars in the sky, how many. He, see, he wants him to look. So, what are you looking at? Because those are the thoughts that are going to be in you. What you're looking at. Because you're a mirror. You're going to reflect what you're looking at. So, these guys, his friends say in verse 2, they say, for look... The wicked string the bow. They put the arrow on the bowstring. Man, they have, they've made plans. They've went out of their way to plan evil for you. It's not just happen chance. They are setting forth to deliberately destroy you. In fact, it's, it's your death they're aiming for. Surely that's reason to run away. They're trying to kill you. And if I can't make you afraid, if they can't make him afraid of, of what he can see, look, see right there they are, they got the arrow, they're ready. If they can't make him afraid of what they can see, he goes on and in the next verse, or actually it's in the same verse, to shoot from the darkness or the shadows at the upright in heart. If I can't get you to be afraid of what you can see, let's make you be afraid of what you can't see. Boy, doesn't that sound just like today? Just like today. We'll make you afraid of what you can see, and if that's not enough, we'll make you afraid of what you can't see. Man, it's coming for you from the unseen place, the dark place. It's waiting for you. It's going to shoot you with an arrow that's meant to kill you. In fact, they take it further and go to verse 3. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? They ask David. I mean, come on. When law and order has broken down, what can the righteous do? When, when, hmm, when lawlessness has broken out, when riots are happening, when... You're not even allowed to go to church, but you're allowed to riot. What can the righteous, what can you and me do? That's what they're asking him. But that's not a question of faith at all. This word foundations literally, it, it means political and moral law and order. When, when the foundations are broken or shaken, it, this word destroyed means pulled down, broken, to break in pieces. There's a lot of foundations in our nation right now that are trying to be broken, pulled down. Even remembrances of our foundation. Ridiculous things. Not every statue that's up needs to be up. You understand? Some of them just should be taken down. Unfortunately, most of those are not being targeted at all. So these are all questions they're asking him. David's fear-filled friends are urging him to flee because after all, you're like a defenseless bird and what can you possibly do? Even the law is against you anymore. <clears throat> David's response. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is still on the throne. His throne is in heaven, he says. His eyes watch. He examines everyone. What's he saying? You know what? God is still Lord. 
He is still on the throne. And He is aware of what's going on. He sees it. This has not caught Him by surprise. This is what David is saying. Well, surely you and I can say the same, right? Lord's still on the throne. Don't, don't forget, we're still talking about thoughts. David's thoughts are causing him to stand in faith. His friends' thoughts have completely caused them to give way to fear and the agenda of fear and the agenda of the enemy. See, the fear of death is the power of death. And if I can get you to be afraid of death, then I can control you and push you in directions. You know, if you're the enemy speaking, he can push you into directions that he wants you to go and get you out of where the Lord wants you to be. Man, Lord's in His holy temple. He's on the throne. His throne's in heaven. He's watching. He examines everyone. He knows everything. Verse 5, the Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. Well, then he mean, that means He's going to make right judgments. If you're the righteous, if the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness, that makes you the righteous. And so when He looks at you, He goes, ah, there's, there's mine. There's mine. But over here, these guys, they're the wicked. So he examines the righteous and the wicked. He hates the lover of violence. I know some people don't like that verse. It's still true. Verse 6, He will rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. A scorching wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. In other words, He's going to make right judgment. He's going, to make, he's going to make it right. He loves righteous deeds. Does the Lord? Is the Lord going to do what He loves? He loves rightness. He loves right acts. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see His face. The upright will see His face. The thoughts that David is releasing in little word containers of spiritual life are all lined up with Psalms 91 or other Psalms or other promises in Scripture. The Lord said, you're going to be king. Well, certainly that was a promise he could hold on to, right? Personal promise to him. Had anointed him as king. And when David was, maybe this was, I don't know, maybe it was written when David was working for Saul as a musician and Saul was trying to take his life. But we do know this, that David's response originated from the spirit of life. And he took thoughts, gave them spiritual place on the inside of him, and what came out of his mouth here is spiritual life. On the other hand, his friends thought things of death. If you'll just flip over to Psalms 12, it talks about the wicked. It, he goes on here, and I don't know how, when this was written in relation to the last psalm, 
It says, help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. The Lord will cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, this is the wicked, they say, through our tongues we have power or we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master or who is Lord over us? These are thoughts that someone thinks and then speaks out that are clearly spiritual thoughts, but they're not God's thoughts. And we've used the illustration of David and Goliath before, but it bears repeating. Goliath gave forth a declaration of what he was going to do to David and the Israelites. He was giving forth the enemy's spiritual thoughts, giving birth to them by words, and planned to execute them. Yet David also had given birth to spiritual thoughts in little word containers and those carried the power of God in them. And we know that in there, in those containers, that's victory. The power of God is victory. The power of of Christ in your mouth is victory. We were talking about that this morning, singing about it. And so, the, when, when the wicked make declarations, and when the wicked say it's going to be so bad, and when the wicked try to say all these negative things, what, what does the Word say? It says you're supposed to rise up and condemn every tongue. It doesn't say think condemning thoughts. But we know the thinking comes before the saying. Because it's impossible to say something you haven't thought. So you have to think it first. So the importance of allowing that spiritual content on the inside of you give birth to it through your mouth. The right thing. Every thought carries spiritual power. Every thought originates. I'm going to leave you with this. Every thought originates from either your spirit, the spirit of God, or a spirit of evil. There's only two camps. And you and God are in the same camp. Some of you need to drop. Stop drawing so many dividing lines between you and God and your thinking. Realize when a good thought comes along, that's the Lord. At the very least, it's born out of His DNA because His DNA is in you. You're born again spirit. I have the mind of Christ now. His thoughts come up on the inside of me. So, if I'm really in His presence and staying hooked up with Him, my thoughts and His thoughts should be extremely difficult to tell apart. Father, I thank You for giving us Your thoughts. Lord, I ask You to make plain what I stumbled through this morning, what You showed me so clearly. Make it plain. Open up our hearts and eyes and ears to see, to hear, to understand the importance of having Your thoughts in our heart, Your desires in our heart, of taking in Your spiritual content and rejecting the evil one's spiritual content, the the natural realm's spiritual content. Thank You, Lord, for helping us in this and causing it to 
to wake up on the inside of us in a mighty way in the name of Jesus. And amen. All right, a few announcements before we go. Next week, you have a very special treat for you. And the Lord has Apostle Dale going to bring the word to you. And so be praying for him that... Be praying for yourself that the Lord would give you eyes and ears to hear and to receive. And Him, the tongue of a ready writer. Jen and I will, and the family will be traveling back to uh, Missouri and Oklahoma. So we covet your prayers and we'll be gone for uh, a week and a half, something like that. Also, I wanted to remind you or tell you there's going to be a sign up downstairs. Or is it in the back? Downstairs. There's a table to sign up for our home groups that are going to be starting the first week of August. First week of August, our new home groups kick off. And you can see um, where they're going to be located and the leaders down there and who the leaders are down on the table, on the sign-up table. But this is the book that we're going to be using and, and going through. It's called Gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's by Kenneth E. Hagen. And it has... 13 lessons on the gifts of the Spirit. They're short lessons, so you'll be able to read them together, discuss them, and most importantly, in our home groups, you're going to have opportunity to step out into the gifts of the Spirit and allow the Lord to work them in and through you in your group. Sometimes some of you are, are too intimidated to stand up and you've given way to fear, thoughts of fear, right? You're not sure, is that the Lord telling me to do that? Is it not? I don't know. Well, this is going to be a great opportunity instead of having to face that here in a small intimate setting in our home groups for you to walk in that, experience that, watch how it's done and, and to grow in it. Because ultimately, we want to, it's a way of life, right? We should take that from our home group to, to hear at the sanctuary, to out on the street, to just being operating from a place where God is using us in these things. So that's what this le- these lessons are going to be about. I encourage you strongly to be, uh, to be a part of them, sign up with them. And um, we have four home groups right now. If, if a bunch of you um, make us make a couple new ones, how about that? Uh, invite people. Invite people to come to church with you. There's an assignment for you. Invite people to come. How are we going to grow if you're not inviting people? If you're not telling people? We have to do our part. We can't put everything off on the Lord. So your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, say, come with me to church. Practice that. Look over at your neighbor right now and say, come with me to church. See how easy that was? And here they are with you, just like that. All right, you be blessed and we have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone's invited. One way that we love God is by loving one another. So love on each other as you go. Hallelujah! Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? If you're not, right now you can reach down on the inside and make the adjustment. Psalm 66 tells us, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Sing. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Make His praise glorious.
Not, not let someone else make it glorious. You make it glorious. You sing. You shout to the Lord. He goes on and he says, Say to God, how awe-inspiring are your works. And it aren't, isn't what he's done for you amazing? Think back through the span of your life and, and the miracles that he's done for you. Amazing. All the earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Verse 8 says, Bless our God, you people. Let the sound of His praise be heard. You know, praise is not something that's supposed to be quiet. It's supposed to be something that other people hear and it brings them to attention. Praise is meant to be heard. Come on, someone say it with me. Praise is meant to be heard. All right, let's let Him hear our praise. give us understanding more thoroughly of the victory that you've given to us. Father, that you give us understanding on how to walk in this victory constantly. And Lord, thank you that you have, your mercies are new every morning, that you're patient, that you're, you're faithful, that you watch over your words to perform it. victory over your problems that you're facing. The mountain that you're up against, you need to begin to declare and open your mouth and speak the word of God to that mountain. You need to tell that mountain to be removed and to be, be brought down and made low. You need to speak victory. Declare the victory that He's given to you. And it shall be so.
the Lord of your life, then death is canceled for you. Canceled for you. death you're thinking of is physical death, then you're thinking much too short-sighted. Father, I thank you for the eternal life that you've given to us. Father, I call forth an expansion of our understanding in these things for this time and season. Father, I call forth an expansion of the victory that we've already walked in, the victory you've established for us. Lord, I call forth an expansion in the house of Church of the Word International. I call forth an expansion over your individual lives, over your families. I call forth an expansion of the kingdom of light in this state, in this nation, an expansion of victory in every way in the name of Jesus. someone who's willing, willing to stand in the gap and make up the difference. The Lord's looking for the person, the man, the woman, the child that's willing to step into the hole in the breach in the wall and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, I stand in your victory. Here I am, Lord, victory belongs to me. Who's willing to stand up and be used by the Lord? Well, then expect to start seeing miracles, signs and wonders follow you as you follow him, as you stand in the gap, as you pray, as you make up the hedge. The signs and wonders will come on every side of you as as you step out in faith and in boldness on the word and at the word of the Lord Jesus. Never before in history have we been in such a time where the word is so needed. Not at least in you and I's history. So come on, rise up. Rise up to the occasion. Rise to the occasion. Rise to the occasion in the name of Jesus. I declare victory over you. Someone say, victory belongs to me. Victory belongs to me. I walk in victory. I stand in victory. Victory is mine. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your victory. And sometimes you just have to get cantankerous and angry with the devil. Stop allowing him to steal from you. Get angry with him. Put a stop to it. Put your foot down. Don't allow it to go on any further, any longer. It's gone on long enough. I said it's gone on long enough. I don't know why this is so strong in my spirit, but come on, someone hadn't got it yet. I said, victory is yours. I don't care if it's a natural problem, a spiritual problem, an emotional, solical problem, but victory belongs to you. It's time for you to take possession of it, to open your mouth up and declare it, to, to say, it's mine. And I won't have it any other way. 
victory is mine. Thank you, Lord, for your victory. Father, thank you that you're opening up eyes and ears right now to see and to stand in the victory that you made for us. I thank you, Lord, that you give the revelation of it. And I believe that we receive it. Man, woman, and child, we receive the understanding and revelation of your victory. That we see it, that we declare it, that we name it victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. I said victory in Jesus. Not in your own strength. Not by your own mind. Not by your own power. I said in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Crumbling and breaking down. Come crashing down. And the walls that hemmed you in are going to dust. And what was once big, what was once unmovable, insurmountable, unclimbable, is now nothing but a pile of dust to walk through, drag your feet through, stomp in, make clouds. Say it's nothing. It's nothing. victory I, I really think one of you has a word a tongue or something that he wants to say to us so you need to be bold enough to come come up here and say it I thank you Lord we look to you your spirit to lead to guide to direct father that you release right now into us what you want released Your prayers are to the Lord, not to man. To pray in your prayer language to the Lord. Do kia shaba de helaba moria la de de hezo ke konze le hezagado dom yelebasia di shoba yara bahazunda li zoria labaki do de helaba sundali hizoni labaku da ki shoba de hezo yada mahando mamba beki 
Nori alaba kumbadi his sumbadi his shabaki. Nela hazingade his sumbadi ababa de his shu. Loba yasobo yaramaku. The only way to have complete victory over your past is to give it to God. It's the only way you'll break those chains. You know, the things have been set in motion. Years are turning. It's coming. <laughs> it's on the way. Come on, all of us. All of us. We need to think bigger. We need to dream bigger. Lord, Lord's taking us into new gears. Maybe gears we haven't walked in before, but it's time to run. It's time to run. It's time to run in the victory that he set before us. Don't try to figure it out with your natural mind. Allow the Spirit of God to do it in you, to work it in you, to move it in you. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we're going through things, we are to have the faith, keep working with God, and then we will be lacking in nothing. And Job is the example of this in the Bible, a whole book. He endured, his faith endured throughout. And he was lacking in nothing after he endured. Yeah, amen. 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 What about Job? Man, look at his end. Twice as much as he had before. walking with you, to acting with you, we commit and we cast our care upon you, the thing which has concerned us, we, we give it to you, we release it, someone say, I release it, I give it to you, Lord, and I thank you, Father, that you're the way maker, you're the promise keeper, you're the miracle worker. And that you are the one who gives us, gives us grace upon grace to walk in it. To walk in it. Yeah, to walk in it. It's by faith, not by sight. It's not because you see it in the natural, but because you see it in the spiritual.
last Sunday, we talked about perspective, and sometimes you need to change where you're sitting. So we literally got up and physically changed our position. Do you know where you're seated? Do you know where you're sitting? I started a book that we went through as a church, but my family never did. And the first paragraph is one of power, but you have to know where you're sitting. So I'm going to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, where you're sitting and what that means for you. Believers are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all powers and principalities of darkness. No demon can deter the believer who is seated with Christ far above all the works of the enemy. Our seating and reigning with Christ in heavenly places is a position of authority, honor, and triumph, not failure, depression, and defeat. So if you're experiencing failure, depression, and defeat, you need to remember where you're seated and get back into your authority, honor, and triumph. All right. So this problem, the thing that you're up against, somebody here is needing victory, victory over this thing. And so here's what what we're going to do. I want you to just repeat after me. And what we're going to do is we're going to name where we're seated. And we're going to remind every everything around us, every spiritual place of our place in Christ. And we're going to take authority over these things in the name of Jesus. And we're going to bind it up. And it's going to leave. All right? just repeat after me. Father, I acknowledge you are my Father. Jesus is my Lord. You said I am seated with Him in heavenly places. So from this place in heaven where I am seated next to you, I take authority The authority you gave to me. Now Satan. You take your hands off of me. Off of what is mine. Take your hands off of what belongs to me. You and every foul devil with you. I bind your work. That has come against me. The oppression you put on me. I strike it down in the name of Jesus. And I am free in Jesus' name. All right, now stand in that freedom. And don't allow that devil to come back anymore. And if he comes back and says, oh, I'm back, you just say, ha, 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 ha. No, you're not. Because I'm seated with him. And you're not allowed around these parts. You just take authority and get sassed with him. And stand in that authority. Sit in that authority. Come on, sit in that authority. That means you're, you're sitting in it. You're resting in it. You're established in it. You're unmovable, unshakable. Not getting up from that place anytime soon. Who can say amen? Amen. All right, hallelujah. We're going to send the children to Children's Church, the ministry workers to their places. As they go, just turn and love on someone, declare victory over somebody.
Glory to God. Victory in the house. Amen. Well, welcome to CWI, Church of the Word International. If you're here for the very first time, can you raise your hand? We'd like to recognize you. We have a few guests here. Let's give them a hand. Welcome. I trust you'll be ministered to this morning. And uh, we have ushers that will you want to give them a card if you'd like to fill it out just give your information you can put it in the offering basket when it goes by anybody need a cash envelope for your giving raise your hand and the ushers will see that you get it if you're giving by check you can make it out to church of the word or cwi if you're giving by credit card do fill out all the blanks well we're going to return our tithe in faith this morning and i want to encourage you um, scripture is a little bit different this morning than we normally give uh, for giving, but I want to. I felt like I was to uh, encourage you to trust the Lord, to put your faith in His goodness and in His ability to provide, no matter what you come up against. And so we're going to read an account um, of the first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. We're going to read an account of that in Psalms chapter seventy-eight. And it begins the psalm um, talking about how remembering the things the Lord has done and how we should remember, like, teach our children these things, what, what the Lord has done. Not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Don't be like their forefathers. You know, they were given as an example for us, mostly of an example of what not to do. Uh, but, and then it goes on saying what all the Lord has done. He split the rocks in the wilderness, gave them drink out of a rock. Verse 17 says, Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? See, they're questioning the character of God. They're, they're questioning his goodness and his, his ability, his power. So this is an example of how not to respond when you're faced with a, a, a challenge or trouble. In this case, we're, we're thinking of it through the lens of finances, but really any challenge. I mean, I don't care what you come up against. The answer is always, God has the answer. God's going to help me. Faith. Respond in faith. Believe him that he's good. Not, I don't know, can he? Well, I don't know. Well, he's probably sent us out here to die. He's just going to leave us here. I mean, yeah, he brought us through the Red Sea, but you know, he can't give us water in the desert. I mean, come on. (laughs) We always respond in faith, believing he is for me. You know, imagine if they had, you know, they, they come through the Red Sea, they're in the desert, they have no food. They have no water, or it looks like they don't have food and water. Imagine if they had built an altar, gave the Lord an offering, burnt a sacrifice, and said, Lord, we're just going to rejoice because you brought us through the Red Sea. Look how you've provided for us, and we know you have the answer now. Hallelujah. We're rejoicing. We're trusting in your goodness. I bet that would have pleased the Father. How that would have pleased him. So in the end, let's keep on reading here. Verse 21 says, therefore, when the Lord heard, see, he hears our response to things. He's listening. When the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. 
a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. The Lord wants us to respond in faith. So maybe you're up against a financial obstacle. Maybe you're facing a real challenge here, but I'm I'm telling you, believe God. Believe he's good. Believe he wants you to succeed. Believe he can bring you through. That is our response, no matter what. And one way that we demonstrate that we believe God is our provider is in our tithes. When we return the tithe to him, we're saying, Lord, I acknowledge you as my provider. So let's return the tithe to him in faith, believing that we're blessed, believing that we're provided for. Amen. All right. Lord, we return the tithe to you gladly, joyfully, thankful that you are for us. Thankful that you desire us to succeed and that your thoughts are always good towards us. And I just call every need in this house met. I thank you that the blessing of the tither is on the people that tithe here. I thank you, Lord, that that you're faithful and that you're always with us. You never forsake us no matter what we're up against. And we give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. And the people will give to the Lord.